Thanks, um, I've got a question for you as I get my notes together. I'm going to stand by here and ask the question. Um, if you're an introvert, this is your moment to have your introverted space. If you're an extrovert, do feel free to safely turn to the person next to you and um, share your thoughts. If Mary Berry or Gareth Southgate was coming to your house for tea, what's the first thing that you would do? Go. So, I've heard a couple of the things that I was expecting to hear. Um, so, I was expecting to hear that, um, oh, I'd like to go shopping. I'd like to go and get a bunch of food in. I'd like to go and make sure that I've got enough. Um, I heard down at the front here that I'd like to tell people. I'd like to invite people. Um, who wants to go and clean their house, make sure that the washing is, yeah, make sure that the washing is away, make sure that, the, that, that everything's clean and tidy, that the bathroom is, is clean. Um, so today we're going to be looking at a time when Jesus was going to be coming for tea. So I'd like for you to turn on your Bibles, switch them on. We're going to be looking at Luke 19 and it's a story of Zacchaeus. Apparently there's a second A in his name, which I didn't realize until I looked at it this time. So Zacchaeus, I might say Zacchaeus at some point. But Zacchaeus. Um, and it might be a story you, you'll be familiar with. It's often one of those Sunday school stories that we grow up with. Um, I didn't grow up in Sunday school, but I somehow knew it um, through lots of different conversations at school and stuff with the RE teachers coming in and things. Um, and I just want to set the scene. So as you're looking at chapter 19, verses 1, and 10, 1 to 10, that's where we're going to be basing ourselves. But just before that, in chapter 18, I just want to set the scene. We're going to work through the passage of verses 1 to 10 in chapter 19 in a moment. And we're going to be looking at what Jesus does. And there's three E's because I'm a good Anglican and I like alliteration. But also, whenever we talk about the New Wine Discipleship Year, we talk about it being a place of um, encouraging, enabling and equipping young people between the ages of 18 and 24 to live life to the full with Jesus. And this is what Jesus does in this passage. He encourages, he enables, and he equips. And so in chapter 18, it's always important to look at context. In chapter 18, Jesus has just had a conversation with a man around the kingdom of God. And he says, um, and just, just as an FYI, the kingdom of God is, as Tim Grew, one of our pastors here, likes to call it the king's domain. It's wherever the king has authority. It's where he is king of kings. So when you trust in God yourself, you carry the kingdom with you. You belong to his family and you are under his authority. And so he's talking to this guy and he's saying how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But, what he says a couple of verses later, is what is impossible for people is possible with God. 
Now, we all love an underdog, don't we? In this country, we love it. We like to get behind the little guy. If somebody's been belittled or something bad has happened to them, it's really easy for us to get behind them and cheer them on. And now this is my attempt at being... um, relevant, I guess, (laughs) with the football. Um, So with Denmark, Denmark were a country that lots of people got behind in the Euros before they came and met England, um, particularly when they met Wales, and everyone's behind them to win, even part of Wales, because of what had happened in the first match with Christian Eriksen having a heart attack. So everybody was behind them because they were the underdog. And on the road to Jericho, we meet somebody like this. So there's been a bit of a buzz, and whenever somebody important was coming to a city, the crowds and, and the people who belonged and lived in the city, whether the more important the person was, the further outside of town that they would go to welcome them and greet them. So there's a buzz around the city. Jesus is coming to town, and they're going to throw a party, and there's going to be the, the, the highest leaders there, There's going to be food, there's going to be music, and it's going to be really exciting. And we're going to welcome him well into Jerusalem. So they go out and they meet him. And there's this guy on the road to Jericho. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he needs to go through Jericho. And he meets this man, a blind beggar. And we're not going to be delving into his story today. But he is the underdog in the story. We look at this story and we see God, um, we see Jesus encouraging the man to speak, encouraging the man to come forward, enabling him to speak, and equipping him by healing him in order for him to live life in a different way. But today we're not going to be looking at the underdog. Today we're going to be looking at one of the most hated men in that city. Today we're going to be looking at somebody who was hated for how greedy he was. So we're going to turn to chapter 19, verse 1, and we're going to start here. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Note, passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now we know this man, Zacchaeus, was uh, corrupt because when a chief tax collector or when a tax collector was wealthy, it meant that they were collecting more than was needed. The Roman Empire required a tax to be paid and Zacchaeus and all of the tax collectors would put an extra amount and keep that for themselves. But if they were wealthy, it meant that they were abusing that system. But not only that, but Zacchaeus was a Jewish tax collector. So all of the people around him didn't like him because he just wasn't living the life of a Jew. So it was likely, actually, that he was banned from the temple. He was deeply unpopular, and he was actually oppressive. He had the Romans on his side, which meant he could get what he wanted. Verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. Now, there's some ambiguity here. Actually, it might be that Jesus was short. We don't actually know, but it's generally understood that Zacchaeus was short. So we'll take that. 
Now, if you are in a line of people trying to see, if you are tall, it doesn't really matter if a smaller person comes in front of you because you can still see. But these guys didn't want Zacchaeus to come anywhere near them. He was so hated, he just couldn't get forward. And there were flat roofs, so there would have been people lining the roofs. But he wasn't welcome up there either. So in order to see Jesus, verse 4, he ran ahead. And he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now these are two very undignifying things for a man of that time to be doing. First of all, you don't run. And second of all, only children climb trees. I love climbing a good tree, but in that time it was only for children. And the way in which the crowd had treated Zacchaeus could have meant that he would have retreated and thought, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to get the chance. It could have been that he was just curious, but curiosity would have meant he could have had a conversation a couple of days later about what had happened at the well. Zach took the initiative. He wasn't just curious. He was focused and wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to know him. And he couldn't let this opportunity pass. So he took responsibility. And sycamore trees could only be found outside of the cities because they were so big. If you Google them, you can find a ton of images, mainly um, of just a huge amount of foliage. And it meant that you could hide very easily in them. And they had very low branches, so very easily to easy to climb. But they were far outside of town because they weren't appropriate for in-town. So he had run outside of town. This is important. He'd run outside. And verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And this is the moment where it all shifts for him. Jesus sees him, Jesus knows him, and Jesus is drenched in kindness and grace and love for Zacchaeus. He actually turns the heat on himself and says, I want you. Here's the first E. Jesus encourages now, names are important, right? You've probably all had somebody call you the wrong name at some point. You might have a story of somebody calling you something very different from your actual name. My mum uh, has an unusual name, so she often uses, well, sometimes uses my name when she goes to Starbucks or Costa or any other coffee shops are available. And... Um, it's all well and good for her. It seems to work for her. It doesn't work for me. So when I was in London a couple of years ago for a DY meeting, um, the barista wrote this on my coffee cup. For those who can't see, it says Colin. And it genuinely was what they put my name down as. Nobody else wanted that order. It was my name. And they chose to call me Colin with two L's. When somebody gets your name right, though, and especially somebody who hasn't met you before, 
or has very little to do with you. And they get your name right. It, it's powerful. And in this instance, he is taken aback. This Jesus, he knows my name. In John 10, verse 3, Jesus says, The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He knows each and every one of our names. And the meaning of Zacchaeus, it means pure one or innocent one. And that's not how he was living. But in this moment of Jesus saying his name over him, it's like a declaration of restoration. This man, up a tree, knows exactly how corrupt he is. He knows how he's let down so many people. But with one look from Jesus, with his name being spoken over him, he was in that moment given security, significance, and belonging. And not only that, but Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' world in this like reverse hospitality kind of way. My granddad is, of, is somebody for me who has made a massive mark on my life. He loved Jesus so much. I often saw him writing out the Bible word for word. Um, but he embodied it too. And he got to know this guy who was going through a really horrendous time. My dad was about 10, so um, it was many years ago. Um, and this man was grieving, and he was asking a lot of questions about life. And my granddad looked and watched and saw him battle with these questions, but also saw him love motorbiking and going for long rides in the Welsh, beautiful Welsh countryside. And what he did was invite himself into that world and bought himself a run-down motorbike that needed a lot of work, and together they worked on it and made it rideable and safe. And they went on long rides together and chatted about all sorts of things, and including um, Jesus. But the point was that my Bamps was inviting himself into this other man's life. And he's a long-term family friend. And we love him dearly. It's not about bringing others into our spaces where we are comfortable, actually. Hospitality isn't about that. Hospitality is sharing our hearts with somebody else. And often that means inviting us and ourselves into somebody else's space, which might be uncomfortable for us. So when we look back at this story, Jesus is inviting himself into a space that by Jewish standards is really unclean. And therefore eating and lodging there overnight means that he's then going to become unclean in the process by these standards. The dinner table was a sacred space. It was a place for friendship, for intimacy, and it said that you approve of the person in front of you. Cancel culture in that time was real too. 
It's not just something in the 21st century. It's something that's been going on for a long time. And this grace that Jesus was showing Zacchaeus was jarring and overwhelming. And it didn't make any logical sense to them. So if we look at verse 7 in chapter 19, it says, All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. The hostility is turned to Jesus in this. You can imagine that they were already disappointed that he was only passing through. But to then interrupt the passing through, go past the walls of the city, see Zacchaeus up a tree and say, I'm going to come to your house, the most, one of the most hated men in this city, and I'm going to come and, and dine with you and stay with you, and I want to get to know you. The muttering, that, that word mutter is actually really, really um, small for what it actually means. It means a heavy complaining. It's like a bumbling bee where it's like constant, it's negative, and it's judgmental, and it's self-righteous. But what happens when they're at the meal is in verse 8, Zacchaeus stands up and says to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I, treat, if I cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus hasn't asked him to change. Jesus hasn't put any conditions over him. Kindness is what oozes out of Jesus here. And this is the second E. Jesus enables him to choose and change. In Romans 2 verse 4 it says about how it's God's kindness that brings us to repentance and changes us. We can't earn the kindness of God. It's just given. Whilst we were sinners, Christ died for us. Eugene Peterson said a really beautiful phrase, which I really love. We learn to love, not by being told to love, but by being loved. And that's what Jesus did here. And what's the response? Well, Zacchaeus has been enabled to see who he is and wants to change because he has lived in that love and decides to give his heart decides to change. And it might sound like it's over the top and exaggerating, because it is. But that in the culture meant that he was taken at his word and taken as somebody who actually meant what he was saying and what his heart was, that he wanted to change. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, "'Today salvation's come to this house.' Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So remember, this is the bully. This is the persecutor, the oppressor. And he's been given salvation. There's a Welsh preacher who once said, I am not good enough. Jesus is good enough, and I am in him. The salvation here is given as a gift. And you get the third E, Jesus equips. Jesus is giving him belonging. 
This man too is a son of Abraham. He is accepted into the family. He is significant and he is secure. And this means when you look at Galatians 3 verse 29 and the, well, the whole chapter of chapter 3 of Galatians talks about how the hope and the inheritance that God has is for anybody who's called a son of, of Abraham. And this is what he's declaring over this, this man. The son of man phrase is used little in the Gospels. But in Luke, you've got verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And John Mark Comer, who is a fantastic author and preacher, definitely recommend his books, links it to Luke 7. So his purpose, his mission, is to come to seek and to save the lost. But the way he does it, Luke 7 verse 34, he came eating and drinking. This is for us to go and do too. So my question for us, what if Jesus was coming to tea? At the beginning, I highlighted three maybe responses that you might have had for Mary Berry or Gareth Southgate coming. Bands are going to come up as, as we land. But what if Jesus were coming to tea? Would your instinctive reaction be, oh, goodness me, I need to make sure that everything looks okay and right and tidy and clean? What do you want to shove up a tree or in a cupboard? What's something that he might want to restore and bring to the light to allow freedom? What are some of the things that you think, oh, I don't have that. I don't have enough. I need to go and get stuff to go and make sure that this can work. Well, Jesus is the bread of life. He's the one who provides what is it that you need? He's there. Zacchaeus didn't have it all sorted. He didn't do a bunch of stuff to earn that salvation. He just showed his heart. So I wonder now as we come to land, what it is that we can do to invite him in. So I'm going to pray.